to Agronomy for Farmer Success, a podcast brought to you by Osmus Farm Supply. Today in the Osmus Farm Supply podcast studio, we have Bill Schrader and Todd Clausen returning for episode two of our three-part series with Osmus Farm Supply Seed and Midwest Seed. This episode is going to go into more details on what we saw during the 2020 growing season. Um, what were some of the common pests and weeds that really stood out to you last year in your travels and observations? Were there things, how much, uh, I'm a weed science guy mostly, and how much Palmer amaranth are you running into across your territory? How bad is that getting? Yeah, so obviously as, as you're in the south, um, you know, from the high plains up through Kansas, you've got Palmer uh, fairly common in the state of Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And um, it's, uh, I'm not going to say it's alarming, uh, because when I think about Palmer, um, it's a basically a pigweed species. It's an amaranthus species. If you, if you can control water hemp, you can control Palmer. Okay. But, it's, but it just, just doesn't happen. You know, the thing about Palmer uh, in, in difference than water hemp is it, it does move faster. It is more aggressive. Um, it moves at a faster pace. Uh, and, and, and I think about that, uh, even water hemp. So at 3-inch water hemp, our ability to control it post-emerge is really high. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, 98, 99%. But now you let that push out to 5.5 to 6 inches, and you drop to 45 to 55% control. Right. And that's a long weekend. And, yeah. You know, well, we wanted to go to the lake. <laughs> right. And we, we could have been on the sprayer, but and not that, but, but weather can keep you out of it. Palmer amaranth moves at a faster pace. Sure. Palmer amaranth is more prolific, and, and it will throw more seed. But if but if, but if you are strong, and if you're using a using an outstanding, and it is, it still comes to residual. It comes to length of residual. It comes of overlapping residual herbicides, uh, because the easiest way to control weeds is not have them. And so prevention is your best method. So residual herbicides, your post-emerge have to have to also include residual herbicides. Excellent advice. I totally agree. You know, so we're sitting at the Mecca here of Osmus Farm Supply, Rake, Iowa. Um, we're in a little area where we're somewhat insulated from the real problem, I would say, of Palmer. Uh, there's been a couple fields here and there up here that unfortunately a little bit of Palmer was brought in on some CRP seed by mistake. But most of Winnebago County, which we're in, or Faribault County to the north of us, Kasuth County to the um, west of us, those counties haven't seen a lot of Palmer yet. Where do you start running into that? Um, how far away from here would you say, oh, I see a field. That looks like the Palmer starting to get to be a problem. Are we 50 miles away from it? Are we 100 miles away from it? I think you're, you're, you're all of 100. Uh, you'll, you'll start picking it up in that southwest quadrant. Of Iowa, um, yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned you caught some seed coming in on some pollinator mixes, right? Correct. And so, um, Crawford County, sure, great corn producing county in the state of Iowa. Uh, Denison would be mm-hmm. would be the heart of it. Uh, there's there's you know there's Palmer confirmed there, and you know it, it, it has had a chance to spread with it. So, what are you from Denison, Iowa? Yeah, probably about that. Yeah, but it's it's one of those things that that uh, that it needs to be it needs to be a concern, and it, it 
if you for some reason see it, uh, you need to eradicate it, go bag it, pull it out. Mm -hmm. Just just don't let the seed go back into it. Although it's also one of those things that when you see it, because um, it could it can look like a male water hemp. It can, and but it it is a different type of plant, and a lot of people go, man, that's a different water hemp. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that's really an oh shoot moment. I like your approach to it. I mean, it's a it's a problem. Water hemp's a problem. But if we take the necessary steps, it's something that we should be able to manage. Yeah, again, your diligence, your diligence with water hemp will carry over and help protect you from a an outbreak of pollen. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. What were there other diseases because of the last year in twenty twenty, the weather conditions? Were there certain diseases that stood out to you, or were more of a problem than what you'd seen in the past? Yeah. So I, if I think about diseases of twenty twenty. Um, we had some early indicators of disease. So we were we were cool, wet early. We we were well behind in GBUs, growing degree units or days, up through the fifteenth, eighteenth of June. Then we started turning into a drier pattern. Mm -hmm. and, you know, if you're looking at your if you're looking at your drought monitor today, uh, where we sit, we're in abnormally dry. When you start moving west and south of where we sit today, you actually move into moderate drought and then up to severe drought. So, <coughs> excuse me. We got into the latter part of the growing season, and we warmed up and we dried out. So we saw some early indications of physoderma, mm -hmm. and uh, it just kind of sat still once that dry period settled into us. Um, we saw mostly the incidence of physoderma brown spot, which is foliar, and saw very little incidence of the node break. Okay. And the brown spot, they're, they're both physoderma matus, so they're both the same pathogen, uh, but they'll manifest themselves in, in different parts of the plant. Mm -hmm. So the physoderma brown spot that will show up as, go, you know, go, go, go hear this, is they show up as brown spots mm -hmm. on the leaf, especially in the midrib. And then they'll, they'll, they'll sort of model on the leaf, and it, uh, it's basically cosmetic. But to have physoderma node break, it's... Um, it's really difficult because it will settle in on the, the second, third, fourth node from the from from the soil level, which is the seventh, eighth, or ninth node, and it will it will deteriorate the ring right at the node, and the ring of the lignin content that's in the rind, and it will just it'll snap off completely. Right. It's not like it's not like a that will kink the plant over. At the inner node, it breaks off clean, and then it, it drops into the middle of the, of the grow. So then you can't get it. So I, I do believe that there was a there was a relatively high potential in 2020 for diseases, but the latter part of the season, with warmer temperatures and drier air, really held a lot of the diseases at bay. Okay, good. Well, that was great, and I think we saw that too. Um, we saw a lot of fungicide. Uh, out of osmus all of our locations do and i would say the crop response this year wasn't quite as good as in years past to fungicides um and maybe some of that locally was driven by the fact that we were so dry i think our yield potential was limited mm -hmm. and some of those diseases maybe got started and sort of stalled out so you know, what's your limiting factor i think for some people especially corn on corn in this area it was water um and so the fungicides maybe didn't play quite as big a role in things as what they normally had. Although, as you think about fungicide, and fungicide is certainly a soapbox of which I'll stand upon, and 
when I think about scouting trees for fun for fungicides, it's more about timing for plant health, right? Than really it is scouting for incidence of gray leaf spot or northern corn leaf blight. So right. I'm, not, I'm not necessarily scouting and treating for for specific diseases. I'm looking for that overall plant health robustness that you can get, particularly out of the Strobilia and chemistries that right. are part of almost every fungicide package that goes out. Yes, definitely. Yeah, it's about preserving yield potential, and that's what it's um, there for. So, yeah, I, to me, it's a little bit dangerous to try and scout for plant diseases um, because what can happen is you don't see the trees amongst the forest, mm-hmm. especially when you're out in a cornfield. So you have to look at the conditions, I think, and potential probably on that. Yeah, and with fungicide, you know, my, my, my imperatives are timing is, timing is first, mm-hmm. and then the quality of an application right it's quality of application uh, you know, because these products are they're not translocated so uh, unless you have good coverage they they, they won't have an, an advantage for you farther down in, into the plant and then into the canopy and you know when i think about timing for fungicide i want it as especially so if you're coming out of the air uh, aerial application for fungicide you know you're, you're going to put on two gallons per acre. So right. You, so you really need a directive or some sort of an additive to make those droplets heavier mm-hmm. to get to the to get to the plant. So so you need to wait until VT stage. Well VT stage is is, is that last half leaf that has that envelops the tassel, just bends away from the from the tassel. Tassel just starts to open up. At that point in time you should have some silt coming out of the ear. <coughs> That, that then that then is a very very safe time period to then go ahead and right start. but if you're running before VT if you're running fungicide from V8 to VT that application and that that label is product and water only right right so you're not running an additive well we have taken steps so we've got a new additive now that has all the um, oils and things out of it so that arrested ear development or the beer bottled ear um, we've taken the risk away on that but I agree with you you know coverage 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 we need coverage for the fungicide some of them have just translaminar movement which just means they're going to move from one side of the leaf to the other we're not really getting a spreading action so volume of water is one thing you can do to help that but then also having something like you said to get it to set down stay on those leaves spread out get into the plants that's where we need it and I think you touched on an important point, too. I hear it time and time again. We really need to focus in on that tassel application. I know it's tempting for a lot of these growers to want to go out early. But a couple things there. Um, a lot of leaves haven't come out yet. Mm-hmm. Most of these fungicides don't translocate. And um, you don't really know what your yield potential is yet. And time and time again, what we've seen is that the top part of the plant from the ear leaf up is really what's going to help you fill out that ear and get you the most yield. So... Um, we're talking about pests, something that's been on our radar. It seems like it's getting to be a little bit more of a problem just to our South is rootworms. And we're seeing rootworms, um, spike up a little bit in population. We're even seeing a few people with the rootworm trait that are having issues. Um, what did you see of that last year? Um, when you were traveling around the Midwest? We did see in 2020, we saw... We saw farms <coughs> with with corn rootworm traits and multiple corn rootworm traits that were shown breeding. Okay. Uh, uh, 
part of that, I, I think a part of that instance is pressure, um, overwhelming pressure. Uh, but another part of that, so you think about corn rootworm traits and European corn borer traits or Lepidopsis traits. So they're all BP traits. So what that means is they're producing a, a toxin. And how do they produce a toxin is, is, is a protein. So it's a, pro mm -hmm. it's a protein based toxin. Uh, that that will that will then be produced in the plant, and so consider proteins, and proteins are made up of amino acids. Amino acids main component is nitrogen. Mm -hmm. So the drier the drier that farms can get, <coughs> the drier the soil gets, the less flow or le the less mass flow that nitrate will move with water into the plant. Okay, so I can can part of that can part of that be a lower toxin, right? In the plant, a lower toxicity of that of that protein being expressed because I'm lower, or have less nitrogen available because I have less water. Not that nitrogen isn't there, right? It may not just be flowing into the plant due to and, and they were, sure we we were extremely dry <clears throat> in those areas. They were extremely dry. Okay, so now you also have other issues. So corn is rootworm larva feeding. Without without moisture, you don't get very good regrowth at the same time. Right, right. So I, I do believe that corn <coughs> are, 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 are it, it's not a regrowth, obviously. We should be concerned no. about it. We should be thinking about it. And even right now, with people going, well, <coughs> we were really cold the last 10 days. Yeah, we're, true, we're, true. We're, we're, looking at, we're looking at one of the coldest Februarys on record outside of the past four or five days. And... And they, they said that's really going to knock down. That's really going to going to knock down the corn rootworm pressure. Right, right. Is is that the case? So, if I think about corn rootworm, where are they today? They're in the soil. Right. The so they overwinter in the egg stage. And if you think about that, what's your so so when you think about what kind of pressure you have? So one, they have to survive over winter. Mm -hmm. Two, two. Then as they warm <coughs> up into the spring and the eggs mature, then they hatch. What's their survival from egg hatch to feeding larva? Because what's the what's the distance are they are from where they were deposited as eggs to where their food source is? And right. Can, and can they get there? So there's multiple survivorships. Yes. That, that that have to take place for that pressure to be there. And so you're thinking today, well, we've, we've been really cold. Right. So that overwinter <coughs> that overwinter survivor survivorship is going yeah. to go down. Although, what's our what's what's our frost domain? Right. Our frost domain right. is probably four or five, maybe six inches. Mm -hmm. You can go out and put a thermometer in the soil and find twenty-five or twenty-six degrees. And then there's different schools of thought of that overwintering survivorship. Right. So, so really cold. If I'm really cold, is that the is that the type of weather that will lower the the overwintering survivors? Right. I don't right. Know. Or is it the other school of thought? <coughs> An open season that that does get down to, you know, maybe ten degrees, and then it warms up to forty, and then it fluctuates up and down. Is that is that a possibility? So I think there's multiple schools of thought of how how the overwintering survivorship of, of corn rootworm eggs to larva. You're right. You're right. I, but there has been a trend where we feel like the populations over the last few years, it seems like, are starting to build back up again. You know, you've been in the industry, like you said, thirty three years. Um, <clears throat> you definitely see one pass come back time and time again, and it seems to be the rootworms, right? Mm -hmm. 
from when you started till now, they've always been present and have went up and down. They've had their cycles, sometimes really bad. The traits have been a great tool. I just, I wonder if they're starting to get a little bit weak. You know, the other thing about that protein expression, my understanding is, is that protein expression really does taper off after the roots start gr stop growing, right? Around tassel time. And it seems like maybe some of these rootworm beetles have evolved to where they're emerging later in the year. And a lot of the feeding is getting done late in the year where there isn't as much protein in the plants, right. which is also bad <clears throat> for our chemical controls too, because at that time they've vanished as well. So it's a pest. I just want to make sure that we at Osmus here, keep an eye on and inform our growers. Of, and, but and you know, the greatest indicator, <clears throat> the greatest indicator is, is adult counts. Right. You know, in the fall, what happens? Farmers will ask the question, "Hey, do I need, do I need an insecticide <clears throat> with my traded corn in continuous corn?" And the, right. And the first question you ask back is, "What's the corn rootworm adult pressure on that farm in July and August?" And mm -hmm. the answer is, "Well, I don't know." Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you really need to be cognizant of that, but but I do believe that we are that that we are seeing feeding later into the season because even as combines roll through, roll through the field, you're seeing all these corn rootworm beetles on combines. Yes, and definitely. And you, but you're also seeing two different species. So you have the western species and the northern species, and at least in this part of the world, western species tend to come out first, and then the northerns, the northerns will come in a little bit later, but it extends that overall egg-laying time, and, and then that larval emerges in the next season as that, that, that beetle, those different beetle counts come in and they're, they're out there for 30 and 40 days. Right. So it's extending. The longer that you have beetle flying, the longer you'll have eggs hatching and the longer you'll have larval feeding. Right. And we've sort of selected probably for those beetles that come out later and have that extended laying period. Very possible. And obviously 2020, one of the things that stands out in my mind is derecho, right? Thankfully, we were far from the heart of that. We've had customers, though, that were down there, unfortunately, and had to um, bear the, the blunt of it. Tell me a little bit about your impressions from the derecho, what you learned from it, and what are people going to have to do this year because of it um, in that area that was hit hardest? Yeah, um, it was devastation. I was actually in eastern, or excuse me, western Illinois uh, on August the 10th. <coughs> and traveled back through uh, the entire state of Iowa late that day and, and actually saw a, a lot of the devastation that happened out there. And, you know, um, there, was, there was no plant left behind yeah. down, down that tunnel of, you know, you hear wind speeds of 130 miles an hour. Well, there's no expectation of corn standing in, in the way of that. And, um, you know, and th there were different levels of there were different levels of, of of proximity to the ground, and the closer those the closer those areas were to the ground, the less yield, the less potential, and although at the same time, we still brought some pretty good corn mm -hmm. off of some of those farms, even though it was a uh, it was a feat to do it physically to pull those out, you know, in, in single direction with reels and things like that, but. I don't. I, I simply don't know if there's any way to to learn from that and to plan for 
such a catastrophe. I, sure. I just don't. Right. Um, you know, green snap is a is a common uh, occurrence nearly every year in some part of the Midwest. Nebraska is a, a, a real wind alley, and green snap is, is something that's really a concern there on an annual basis. But we had green snap heavily in the state of Iowa in 2018, and so again, you need to be cognizant of, of hybrids that have windows of, of susceptibility. Mm-hmm. And really, with when you think about that, um, it's a it, it's a growth pattern. Uh, green snap really happens in a in a tiny essence. It happens in a massive growth period from basically V fifteen up to R one stage. And sure. So we, everything in that plant's happening, and the the, the the synapses in that plant are all going off at the same time. So you're elongating internodes. You're still putting on leaf material. The plant's stretching. All of those things, and you know. Again, some hybrids will have more of a, 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 a susceptibility, uh, but there's also more susceptibility the later you plant corn. Mm-hmm. The later planted corn will be taller because it's reaching for sunlight, so you're stretching out those. I was saying how a lot of the corn has just simply blew over. It depended on the stage of growth and when it was planted and how tall things were. But really, in the end, Todd, the thing we take away from the derecho is you just can't plant during that. No, you, you can't, and um, you know it's a it, it's an act, and it, it it's 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 a tragedy. How are you going to prevent it, and how are you how how, how would you plan for it? There's just right. no way. Right. I, you know, so the thing the one thing I guess I go back to on the duration though going forward is that we just have to look at things like obviously there's going to be some volunteer corn in a situation like that. Corn is a host, obviously, for certain pests like rollworm. Uh, we're going to do a really good job of taking care of our volunteer corn this next year. And we're going to want to keep an eye on that rolling population like we talked about too. So <clears throat> just a couple things about 2020. I really thank Todd for giving me some insights here on all that and everything he's seen. is a wealth of knowledge, as you guys can tell, listening to him here today. Thank you for listening to Agronomy for Farmer Success. If you'd like any additional information, please contact your trusted Osmus Farm Supply agronomist. Please make sure to subscribe to Agronomy for Farmer Success on your podcast player of choice, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and more to be notified when new episodes become available.